Welcome back, Coyotes fans, to another rendition of the Chirpin' Yotes podcast that next week will be replaced by the Big City Greens characters. I'm Tyler. Joined with me is Matt and Grandy, as always, and a very special guest. We have Carl, the lead editor of Five for Howling and co-host of the Locked on Coyotes podcast. Boys and guest, how are we doing? Doing good. Doing pretty, yeah, doing pretty good. Just uh, surviving the week. How about you, Carl? Uh, doing good. It's uh, we got a nice night rain going on here in Phoenix. Uh, digging that. Yep, fun to drive in. That's for sure. The sixty was great. Love it. <laughs> yeah, I'll see, trade why you, I don't leave my house. I'll trade you the eighteen inches of. <laughs> I'll trade oh, you the 18 man. inches of snow I got recently. I'm good on that. I don't know what snow is. I don't know what... I mean, 18 <laughs> inches is pretty big. I wouldn't know, but I know snow is something that I've only seen in movies and, and like, Elf. So I'm going to go ahead and keep what I got. But thank you, though. I appreciate that. I always forget. Uh, From outside of Buffalo, 18 in inches like, seems like least, a normal amount. At least uh, in Tucson, we have, like, Mount Lemon. So, like, I can go see the snow every now and then. I don't... I don't get how like phoenix doesn't have a mountain that sucks for you guys yeah uh we have the uh, i live right next to the superstitions and they get snow when it rains it gets really cold in the morning i don't know if it will tomorrow like it sometimes will i don't think it'll be cold enough but so, yeah it'll get snow capped up there sometimes for like a day or two at most but sure is pretty yeah i was in when i lived in arizona i got a decent amount of snow nothing crazy. you're up in the north part right yeah Prescott, right. Sedona, Flagstaff, that area. Good old Prescott. All right, so well, getting we... into the hockey oh. side. Yeah, about yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually, Carl, this I'm going to turn it over to you. Let's all go ahead and tell the, the audience out there what exactly you do, what you're all about. Uh, sure. Uh, I have been writing for Five for Howling since uh, the last time the Coyotes had a 30-goal score. Uh, it's topical. Um and for the past three years, I have been the managing editor. Uh, we are actually currently going independent because SB Nation decided they didn't want to have hockey coverage um, for all but six sites. So there is a GoFundMe link at the top of the Five for Howling Twitter, uh, which I always appreciate people signing up for that. Um, there's going to be an update coming this weekend. Uh, also, I am the co-host of the Locked On Coyotes podcast. Um, with my awesome co-host Robin, uh, we do what should be a daily show, but sometimes isn't, uh, just kind of talking about the coyotes, what's going on. Uh, we have guests on and do all the podcast stuff. Sounds like fun. Yeah. Everybody go give them a listen after you listen to our show every week. Of course. Yeah. Yes. We, yeah. You know, we got to kind of, got to get our bread first, but you know, definitely give you guys a listen. <laughs> I've listened to you guys in the past before. For sure. It's pretty good stuff. So if you guys like our, it's kind of similar vibe, I think, you know, so if you like our show, you'll most definitely like theirs. So. Yeah. Actually, I got when, I, when I first got into to more than just watching games, actually five for howling was one of the first um, writing sources that I came across, um, you know, back in the probably around 2013 or so um, back when Mike was still writing uh, Rose was writing, um, you know, that Five for Howling's been around forever. Um, I'm really glad you guys are going independent, doing what you guys can to, to keep the, the name and the brand alive. 
Um, so, yeah, any way we can help, I'm really happy to. Yeah, as but, same here. Five for Helen was one of the first things I found too, coming out as a Coyotes fan, and same. It's been such a such a great source, and it's something this fan base, every fan base, really truly needs is those independent local writers. So, yeah, I, I have always wanted to do more with it, but because it, it, it is not a full time job. Uh, it, it, there's there's limits, but it is something that I've always kind of stuck around because you're right. There does need to be independent writers or just sports writers in general. Um, it, it's very kind of unfortunate how few sports outlets cover the Coyotes uh, and don't necessarily cover them as much as they should. Yeah, and honestly, short of, of Craig Morgan, there hasn't been uh, you know a long-term outlet for them as well um we've seen uh sarah mcclellan who i know grandy's familiar with uh she's oh yeah from minnesota yeah, now um you know we had uh jamie eisner uh we had mm-hmm. uh jose romero you know all all of these guys have come in and and gone on to to better things so outside of five for howling um and craig morgan you know arizona's missed that longevity writer so, um, yeah, losing five for Howling would be a, a huge, huge loss for the community here. So all the support in the world from the Chirpin' Yotes podcast out to five for Howling, um, you know, whatever we can do to help you guys out. And I do want to say real quick, too, as an almost, almost every episode listener of Locked on Coyotes, if you guys can, if you guys can get out there just listen to the if we rebuild a series that they recently did it is absolutely fantastic i love every episode of that but everything they do is great definitely give them a follow and a listen as well i was saying right. you know the last uh, couple of years it's really seemed that there's the coyotes are starting to get that presence so hopefully we last a long time so far two years so we'll see what happens but getting into it uh, you mentioned a 30 goal score, and I think it sounds like we just got one of those recently. You know, Clayton Keller has been absolutely killing it this year, career year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, just kind of want to, you know, discuss with you boys. Like, what what do you think is the the source of the success, uh, Carl? If you want to go ahead and take the floor, sir, if you wouldn't mind. I mean, I, I think one of the things that we need to remember about Clayton Keller is he is a very young player. Um, even when people were talking about him being overpaid on a very long contract, like he's just now 24 years old. Uh, I, I think a lot of it is he's just more comfortable, more experienced. He's got, you know, more weight on his body. He's just improved to the point where he is physically a much better player than he was years ago. And we're getting that directly translated into results. Yeah, I I definitely agree there. Um, uh, one of the big issues was Keller kind of broke into the league young at 19. Um, nobody really knew what to expect with him. He had a great year. He was playing with Stepan and and uh, Richard Ponick, and you know he has 65 points his first year, but he was still inconsistent his first year. I think he had 19 points in October that first month. Um, and then he went stagnant for a few months. I think he had a, a real good, like December, January, um, kind of went stagnant a little bit again and then finished the year out strong. 
And the rest of the league kind of took notice that, hey, Arizona's not, you know, overly deep. This is the guy that we got to pay attention to. And he went on to talk about at the end of his first year how he was going to go into year two with the same mindset, you know, and and just try and go out and play his game. Um, And the league adjusted to him. And I think it took a little bit of time for, you know, him to add some muscle um, and kind of pick up the game the way it needs to be played when you're not necessarily undersized, but when you're being targeted by the rest of the league. Um, I, I think that was a big part of what he's developed into over the last two years and kind of how he's found his two-way game. And I think Andre Ternier is is the reason for that. Um, I, without what Ternier's done with some of the younger guys, this doesn't happen for Clayton Keller. And what Carl touched on there, with him being 24 years old, um, uh, you know, they're... There might have been a lot of selling the he's overpaid, he he's not who he was advertised to be. I'm glad he's proven everybody wrong at this point. And to kind of piggyback on the Andre Turnier comment there too, his his usage and ice time under Tockett was so up and down, it was ridiculous. It was one of those things where it, he would get benched for a single mistake in a game. That's just not how these young guys progress or grow. It would kill me watching him have a bad turnover. And admittedly, bad turnover he needs to learn from. And then you would see he got two shifts the rest of the game after that. That's You've got to let them know, yes, you made a mistake, but you also have to give them the confidence to attempt to make plays that might lead to mistakes or you're going to suffocate them. And you saw a lot of that happening, especially later on in the talking era. Um, just Andre Turnier really let him grow, let his, let his wings spread. And it was great to see. And just to toot our own horn real here real quick. Like one of our early podcast episode titles was the battle of Keller Hill, because we planted our flag and said that this kid is going to be good. So it is just extra nice to see him turn it out like this. I think, if I may real quick, it just really goes to show, man, I had this perfect point set, and I just got to start moving on my dang soda can. I just went out. One of those long days at work. I'm so sorry, boys. <laughs> but anyway, I actually meant to bring this up later in the pod, just how Coach Bear, um, just in general, I guess we can kind of maybe mention that now, but, I mean, it, it's really nice seeing Keller go from – even I was a Keller detractor. I won't say hater because, um, you know, I'm a little bit more – who I think we're expecting when this kid gets drafted, they're a finished product. But, I mean, what what player in any league or any situation, even you at work or school, whatever, is a finished product as soon as you're into something? You know what I mean? So, I, again, as you guys have said, just kind of piggyback and quote that. I'm glad to see him do really well. I mean, it – yeah, I mean, even when you're talking about the best players in the league, Connor McDavid's having a career year now at, you know, 26 years old, as good as he was coming into the league. That's not what you're going to get from him his entire career. These players have to grow into who they are. And one of one of the big things was Turnier turned him into a team player. There was a lot of Keller trying to do a lot on his own the first two to three years. Um uh, that's that's changed considerably. 
he may have been a playmaker throughout his entire career, but the the get get me the puck, I'm going to do everything, I'm going to set somebody up, we're going to score a goal, that's kind of left his game. We see a lot more on the stick, off the stick, get to open areas, find teammates in open areas. Um, and we've seen the goal-scoring side of his game finally arrive. That was something that I felt like has been missing for a long time. He always deferred the shot. Um, we're seeing that part of his game evolve this year and even a little bit last year, but we're starting to see him become more of a I do think player. it's important to point out that he is also playing with with better talent. Like, we talk about the difference between Bear and Tockett. Like, it should never be forgotten that playing uh, Nick Schmaltz and Clayton Keller uh, with Connor Garland was the short leash line because they had such a short leash. Why would you do that to... Who, the player who is supposed to be your best player. Uh, I I don't get it. I, I realize that they're older players now, so there's you know less of a risk playing them together, but Keller and Schmaltz just play so well together. Why would you ever break them up? Yeah, to to add to that, it it's not even just that, oh, you know, they have great chemistry together, but the Coyotes have never, with Keller there, never been all that deep of a team. Uh, so the guys that he was playing with were fourth-line guys or guys that probably shouldn't be in the NHL on 20 or 25 different teams that would be, you know, their 13th forward or, uh, you know, in the AHL in some systems. And there's only so much that a guy who wants to be a playmaker can do with guys like that. I you know that that's a huge mis- mismanagement um of his talent and his development no to go with the added talent on this i'd argue that this is the best first line the Coyotes have had since the Kachuk and Ronick days it's just it's so well rounded so good you have Schmaltz who is the expert puck carrier who can Enter the zone seemingly at will. You have Keller who has the puck on a string and just dominates the offensive zone. And you have Hayton who can win those battles on the boards and can chip in in front of the net and can win the faceoffs and just he's become a do everything center. And it's just that line is so good. It's so fun to watch. And it's it is definitely the number you should still be tuning into these late season games even if the playoffs are out of the reach this team is fun to watch this line is the most whenever that line is out is fun i've had as a coyotes fan in what since 2012 it's incredible and it's just signs of better things to come yeah so i mean just to add that too uh, hopefully this all sounds pretty good when i edit this in the future but um Especially when they play at the mullet, to add to all that. Um, I think they can do anything when they play at the mullet, truly. I, I think that they are an unstoppable force. They may even win the Stanley Cup if it was just all solely at the mullet. Of course, that's, you know, high dreaming, but I can do it. But it also, you mentioned Smaltz, but, I mean, he, he seems like... I've seen some people really kind of high on trading him. I've seen some people really kind of want to keep him for a future piece. If you got to decide, if I gave you keys to GMBA's mind... What would you guys do with Schmaltz? Would he be something you're kind of looking to trade at the draft? Something you're kind of hoping to kind of help nurture the future of Cooley 
and burn all of them. What, what, do you, what do you boys think? If I can jump in here and take this first. Um, Go ahead. I trade him at the draft only if you get a really significant offer. We're probably talking top 12 pick minimum, at least what we got for, at least for pick quality, what we got for Chikrin. Other than that, the one thing that really worries Waltz is when his contract comes due, he's going to be approaching his age 30 season. And signing a player long-term at that point, at this stage of a rebuild, is a scary proposition when you have likes of Cooley and Gunther and all these other guys that are going to need contracts soon. So I think we would keep him and then kind of use him as a trade deadline piece that last year. Um, that's, that's just kind of how I, other than that, well, I mean, yeah, boys, take it away. So we've had this discussion uh, on a couple of past episodes. Um, you know, my stance is that he should be here. Um, if not for the entertainment value while you're playing at mullet, um, you know, you have to put fans in seats. But his influence on younger players coming into the system, learning how to play like a professional, like a guy who's going to lead a team, as opposed to, you know, somebody like Andrew Ladd, um, Nick Bukestad. These guys come in, they're great presence on young players. They teach them how to be pros, but you still need those guys who play at a high level that can help develop younger players. Um, it almost goes back to what we were just talking about with Clayton Keller. If you don't have guys that can play with these younger guys and put them in situations to develop certain aspects of their game, you're ultimately stunting development. Um, even if three years from now, Schmaltz walks into free agency and you get absolutely nothing for him, if he aids in the development of what you expect your future core to be, I think you've gotten maximum value out of him. That said, I don't think they let him walk away for nothing. They either re-sign him if he's looking for a long-term deal, maybe he's a, a deadline acquisition for another team in the final year of his contract. But I don't really think, even if you're going to get another high pick, um, short of moving into the top 10 in this year's draft, I don't think he's worth moving. I, I mean, just being now. honest, I don't think... Sorry. Uh, and Carl? Just, I, I don't think Schmaltz is currently worth a top 10 pick at the at the upcoming draft. Uh, I think if you are going to trade him, you want to get a prospect for him. Um, may, maybe like a risky one just to be, you know, maximize your chance of return. But I don't think that the Coyotes should trade him. Uh, I think okay. that as long as he is playing extremely well with Clayton Keller, who is the player who you are building this team around, you don't replace them until you know that you have someone or you don't trade them until you know you have someone that can replace them. So let's say midway through the season next year, Dylan Gunther gets promoted. It's Keller, Hayton, Gunther. Keller has his best year. Gunther has his best year. Hayton has his best year. Like, I think at that point we could maybe explore, uh, trading away schmaltz but until we get there 
you you shouldn't break up Keller and Schmaltz. I would even argue that at that point you have to look at how Schmaltz is playing with who he's playing with at that at that time. You're not moving him out of your top six, so odds are if Gunther's on that line with Hayton and Keller, Schmaltz is probably playing with Logan Cooley and Lawson Krause, or Logan Cooley and Matthias Michelli, or some variation thereof. And you have to look at how that line's performing at that point. Um, Michelli will be 23 next year, I believe. Cooley's going to be a 19-year-old. Um, you still want him spreading his influence on guys like that as well if you've split up that top unit. So even at that point, I, I still think there's more variables than is Keller still having a great year? Is he still having agree a great that. year without Nick Schmaltz? I do think, though, that if, if – I do think, though, if you're splitting up those two, you do run the risk of having Schmaltz block an incoming prospect from playing in the top six. If we go forward with one of these two draft picks – He'll probably be playing in a year or two at the at the worst. And you're gonna want him to get top six minutes to uh well to succeed. As we've seen with the Kings, as we've seen with the Rangers, if you don't get those top six minutes, if you're playing third line with the scrubs, you're not gonna grow. And I do worry about these guys not having the spots to go into like that. And that that's definitely a good point, but that's something I think you evaluate two years from now. I don't think you make a trade now if somebody brings one to the table just because you're looking two years ahead at who might potentially be in your top six. Um, as of right now, and I'm, I'm sure there's probably split opinions on this, Lawson Krause to me is not a top six forward, even going forward. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think any team is very happy to have a big power forward who can score 20 or 25 goals playing on your third line, um, who can be an effective defensive forward, kill penalties, that sort of thing. But if we're all being honest with ourselves, if Lawson Kraus is one of your top six wingers, you know, your odds are you're probably a bubble playoff team, but sh- or even a consistent playoff team, but the reality is you're probably not a contender at that point. So if you're opening up a top six spot by having Lawson Krause play on your third line, I still think there's room for Schmaltz at least through the end of this contract. All right. So unfortunately we had some technical issues there and Tyler had to drop out of the call. Um, But to move on to our next subject, let's talk about the third piece of that fantastic top line that we've had. Uh, Let's start with Matt. What do you think of Barrett Hayton's redeemed play, if you want to call it that, this season so far? I think there's a lot that... A lot of the same things that we talked about with Keller going on with Hayton here. Um, You know, he's 22 years old. He's still in that development era or... Development stage of his career. Um, Ternier's had a great influence on him. I do think there was some mismanagement with who his line mates were earlier in the year. Um, Through the first 33 games, he had one goal, four assists. Um, We saw some flashes in his defensive game. They eventually worked him 
into being promoted to that top line. I think the drop-off in Travis Boyd's game this year had a little bit to do with that as well. Um, over the last 30 games, or 35 games, he's got 12 goals, 18 assists for 30 points. Um, how much of this is Clayton Keller? How much of this is Barrett Hayton taking the next step? Uh, you know, it's hard to put a, a percentage on that, you know, but this this is feels 50-50 to me. Um, one of the big changes in his game that we're starting to see are the dirty goals. Um, we saw him kind of break into the league, be a little flashy with some of his passes, um, maybe take some ill-advised shots. Now we're seeing him go to areas of the ice where he's going to score goals. We're seeing him bang home rebounds. Uh, the goal he had against Calgary last night, the puck hits him in the chest out front. Um, he turns, gets a great shot off, you know, through a screen. Um, the, or I'm sorry. Yeah, against Calgary. Um, great shot through a screen. Um, we also see him make a great pass on Keller's 30th goal. Those were things that were missing from his game. Um, there was kind of a lack of confidence there, maybe. Um, and then there was massive development issues. Obviously, Hayton was a victim of, you know, the pandemic. Um, we saw games canceled. Um, the team brought him along at 19, stuck him in the NHL. He played minimal games in bad situations. He had the shoulder injury at World Juniors. Um, there, there was a lot of mismanagement with Hayton early on. I like what I'm seeing. I want to see it next year. We talked about this at the end of last season. Um, you know, Hayton showed flashes. And it was okay. He might be arriving. And then he had the start that he did. So I, I do think we're somewhere in the middle. I don't think he's going to be a 70-point guy like the pace that he's on right now next season. But I I do see a 55-point two-way center, uh, very capable of being a two-C uh, two for this team long-term. Uh, yeah, that, that's uh, a lot of kind of how oh, I feel. He's really hit the spot at this point. He's getting optimized with the right... Uh, you know, line mates, he has stepped up his game in a way that just kind of happens as you get older. Uh, I was always very confused um, how quickly the bust label got put on Hayton um, just because he wasn't able to make the jump into being a full-time NHLer right away. Like, it, it, it takes time. Um, I, I do remember to start the season, uh, we were at the home opener, um, and I was talking to, um, Mike, um, who does coyote stuff, does some flame stuff. I believe he was on a, a recent episode, uh, as well. And yep, Mike Gould. Uh, and he said, uh, and I agreed with him in the conversation at some that point during the year, Hayton is going to get a shot at that top line. Uh, we didn't make any predictions about how well he would do, but it seemed like he was going to get a chance this year. Like as soon as Travis Boyd kind of dropped off a little bit, because I thought that Boyd had great chemistry with Schmaltz and Keller last season. But at a certain point, I thought that was going to fade. As soon as he got that, Hayton was going to get his shot. What he does with that shot was up to him. And he is just, 
performed phenomenally. So, Carl, let me ask you, do you think the Hayton that we're seeing that's played with Keller and Schmaltz, uh, most recently just Keller with Schmaltz out, um, do you think this is the real Barrett Hayton? Do you think we're going to see him driving a second line? Um, or is he more suited to playing with a guy like Keller that's going to drive offense, uh, but his style of play fits well as a two-way center that, uh, I, I, you know, is, at is this going point, to be able I am to leaning more put up points and just kind of benefit from the guys around him. Um, from the guys around him. I, I don't think he is at the point in his career where he is going to be the main generator. Like, I think if you put him on a line, like, even with Kraus and Michelli, I don't think he does nearly as well. I think he still does good. I, I think there's plenty of hate in Hayton's game, but I think he is being elevated a bit by Keller. Who knows two years from now if that is the case or if he's able to just keep improving because he's still just a very young player. I mean, right now, in my, right now, in my opinion, everyone's being elevated by Keller a little bit. But I also think that this is... I don't think he's going to be a play driver going forward, but I think the role he's playing now is definitely a role he can play long-term where he's playing off of a play driver like Keller, can finish the plays, can do the dirty work in the corners, can do the stuff in front of the net and score those dirty goals. Um, I think this is his long-term role with the team personally, and I think he's been doing pretty well with it, and I think... He's. I hope he continues to grow. And yeah, I never quite understood the hate he got for it. I called for a breakout season at the start of the year. Unfortunately, I did kind of jump off of that prediction as he was struggling out the gate. But I mean, right now I'm wearing a Hayton jersey as we record this podcast. I am a huge Hayton fan, and I have been since well, we drafted him. Um. So I'm thrilled to see this work out for him like this. So I know we don't have this in the show notes, but um, since brought up in terms of Hayton playing between Michelli and Kraus, um, the progression of Matthias Michelli, um, granted this isn't his second pro season. Uh, he did play pro over in Finland uh, his first two years before moving to the AHL. And then the NHL. So he does have some experience there. But um, his development from last year, one goal, four assists, five points in 24 games, to 37 points in 50 games this year. Um, he's played without arguably a, a real center, an NHL-level center, uh, for most of the year. Um, it might be a little unfair to say about Nick Bukestad. Uh, but I guess more what I'm referencing is a offensive-minded center or, uh, you know, a finishing-type center. What have you guys thought of his game? Uh, uh, do you think that the the goals come later in his career? Uh, obviously, he doesn't shoot a lot. Is this who he is moving forward? Uh, do we expect him to be more of a Blake Wheeler-type playmaker than a goal scorer? Or what do you guys see for his future? I'll be honest, I've used the comparison of an Alex Tange in the past where Alex Tange never scored a lot of goals, but his shooting percentage was always really high because he was always choosy about when he stopped. He took great shots, 
but he was such a gifted passer. He was such a good playmaker that his points were still always in the 60 to 80 range. Um, I think that is what, I think that is a very close comparison to what we'll see out of Michelli going forward, where his passing, it's unreal. His passing is just picturesque. It is gorgeous to watch. He is just amazing with it. I, I'm running out of descriptors here with it. More um, often than not, it almost seems like he has eyes in the back of his head. Uh, yeah, so many so plays many that he makes passes, where he's not looking at it. Yeah, so many of his passes are no look. So many of his passes are just touch and feel and chemistry of knowing where a guy's going to be or whatever you want to call it. It's just... Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of the role he'll play for the team where he'll be the driver of a very good second line if he needs to be or play off of a driver of a great second or first line. But I always think he'll be that pass first. I mean, flirt the, with the Coyotes could definitely use a player around 18 like that. To 24. Uh, that would be great to have. I, I am honestly... Carl? Not sure about Michelli because I'm going to be honest. I, I went into the season with fairly low expectations for him, and he has blown them away. Uh, like we previously talked about with Keller, I am a bit concerned that the the league is going to adjust to Matthias Michelli. They're going to figure him out. He may have a, a sophomore slump, but I, I am just curious to see how he can evolve his game because this is not the same player that we saw last season. There, there was no real indication, uh, at least that I saw, that Michelli could be this good. Um, and I love when I am wrong about players in that way. So I'm just going to be very kind of conservative when it comes to evaluating him. I, I, I have to wait and see. One of the biggest things about his game that seems to get left out of conversations is how well he plays defensively. Um, Grandy and I have had this discussion in the past, uh, and the analytics support it. Um, He's been a better defensive player this year than, you know, all but maybe three forwards on this team. Uh, Barrett Hayton's been unbelievable defensively. Uh, Nobody's been even close. Nick Bukestad... Uh, was another one that's been great defensively. But amongst wingers, uh, he's been probably their top winger defensively. Uh, To be fair, however, he has been put in situations where he hasn't been asked to play against teams' top opposition. Um, So, you know, analytically that could be swung just a little bit, but um, he doesn't give up while he's out there. Teams don't tend to see an excess of scoring chances. And maybe that has more to do with his offense than his defense. Um, But he's really developed into a two-way player, and I don't think that gets talked about enough. Um, Unfortunately, the national media hasn't really taken notice of him as well. Uh, He leads all rookies in points per game, but the lack of goal scoring seems to have him off of most Calder lists. Uh, the number one guy pumping his name for the Calder right now is is Mike Gould. Um, you can almost count on after every game that Michelli puts up a point, uh, you know, Mike updates those numbers for everybody. 
Um, his points per 60 right now is like 2.82, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, and it's something that, that really, really should get taken into consideration. Uh, he'd probably be right there neck and neck with Matty Beneers if he doesn't miss six weeks earlier this year. I want to talk about the ridiculousness of teams have, or I've seen multiple, multiple media outlets have Stuart Skinner among the three finalists who had a really, really good stretch of about three weeks there, but has been very pedestrian outside of that above him. That is just, I mean, there's definitely some logic like in forcing throwing someone in, in a, there a so they don't have to put Michelin in there because they can't think of a better average year. You don't see it too often, but I am kind of wondering if it does start to change because, you know, Michelli isn't getting enough attention. I think he is starting to get more. Um, you, you mentioned Mike Gould is the primary. He absolutely is, but... Uh, I think I saw in a hockey news colder write-up they included him like as number five. Um, he he's definitely getting a little bit more attention, not nearly as much as he deserves. Yeah, I I agree there. Um, I I have seen a few people start bringing it up, but definitely not enough. Uh, this the Stuart Skinner thing. I it almost feels like this year they they really want to have a goalie in there. Uh, before Logan Thompson got hurt, Logan Thompson had been, you know, considered a, a top three guy in the Calder. Uh, winning does a lot for a goalie in a Calder race. Um, and, you know, when you've got Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl both over 100 points dragging your team to the playoffs again, you don't necessarily have to be the best goalie on a team that, you know, is going to be in the top five or top eight, wherever they're situated right now in scoring at the end of the year so i do think that favors Stuart skinner quite a bit uh vegas you know same thing with logan thompson i don't think he played necessarily all that well um outside of you know a, a short stretch to start the year but you know vegas is vegas they're going to score goals they play good team defense they're going to win games and both of those teams are in the west um if you're a, a modestly well-built team, you're going to win in the West this year. So, you know, both of those guys have that advantage. And I I think that's looked at above, you know, goals saved above expected, above even the, the simple goals against average and save percentage numbers that I feel like, uh, you know, most of the, the AP media generally looks at. So... That benefits those guys in that way. Uh, you know, Matty Beneers, great year. He should win the Calder. Um, nothing against, you know, anybody else there. But, you know, he's he's going to be a 25-plus goal scorer this year. He's probably going to finish around 60 points. And he's stayed mostly healthy. And those are things that are tough to do. Um, I do remember, I want to say it was Goss Despair's rookie year. Um when he was in the running and everybody talked about, well, he, he should win it because of what he did. It's not his fault. He missed time. Um, but injuries happen. And part of being a rookie in this league and, and winning the Calder is being able to excel in every situation. And sometimes that means staying healthy. So 
I, I would say Matty Beneers deserves to win this, but anybody that's got Stuart Skinner or Logan Thompson ahead of Matthias Michelli, I, I agree with Grandy. They're just doing it for the grandeur of, you know, throwing somebody out there so they don't have to include a coyote in this or that's gonna be the problem with the assists. They don't that. necessarily show it's up out in there as because they're not Twitter highlights. Coyotes and so not if you are is actually uh, an East Coast media person, you're not standing up to watch Coyotes games. You're just kind of like checking in to see what the the highlights are. You're not necessarily seeing Matias Michelli's name come up too much. No, no, you're not. It's a rather unfortunate part of the part of the East Coast bias there. But and I do want to say too on that the Calder Royce. This this is Matty Benier's trophy. He should win it. He deserves to win it. He's had a phenomenal year. I'm not going to take anything away from him with this. It's just the, the Stuart Skinner one especially has just been rubbing me the wrong way. It's like, oh, man. Just anything to do it. Everyone knows the goaltending is Edmonton Oilers' biggest weakness, yet here we are pumping up a goalie on Edmonton, essentially just to keep Michelli out of the conversation. So sticking with the Calder stuff, how crazy of a race are we going to have next year? Connor Bedard, Adam Fantilli, both should absolutely be in the NHL. Logan Cooley, those three. I uh, the obviously we don't know where Adam Fantilli and, and Connor Bedard are playing yet, but we know Logan Cooley is is all but uh an afterthought at this point that he's going to sign as soon as his season's over, uh, likely on April 8th, because Minnesota should play for a national championship this year. What, where do you guys see them? You know, is it, is there a clear cut path that Connor Bedard is just going to take the league by storm and run away with a Calder? Or is this going to be a close run? I think, yeah, I think Connor Bernard's going to pretty well run away with it, especially if he goes to, let's say, a Chicago or a team like that. If he goes to a, te- a team like Columbus, he could put up the same stats and it won't get as much attention. But I think if he goes to one of those big market teams and he puts up the stats we all expect him to, it will be... It will be him running away with it and Fantilli and Cooley fighting for second spot. But remember, Connor McDavid had a phenomenal, phenomenal rookie season and did not win the Calder for the same reason you just brought up earlier with the injuries. Things can always happen. And if that happens, I expect it to be very close. And another guy that should make the team next year that's been absolutely phenomenal as a defenseman is Luke Hughes. He should make uh, the Devils next year, and he might not get enough power play time to put up Also, the Shane Wright, I feel like we forgot we'll put him. him in the running with those guys, but it's just, it's going to be a loaded rookie class next year. Yeah, Just watching worth- these waves of talent come in is so fun. It is worth mentioning Luke Hughes has committed to signing with the Devils. Shane Wright <laughs> yeah, as yeah. well. I mean... Yeah, this this class is going to be great. Luke Hughes is supposed to play or join the Devils as soon as his season's over. He's expected to to make their roster throughout the playoffs this year. So no question he'll be there next year. Maddie Shane Wright as well. Maddie Nye is likely going to be in Toronto. Um, 
yeah, the the Calder next year is is going to be a phenomenal trophy race to watch. I I don't think I, as much as people would like to say Connor Bedard is going to run away with it. I don't think it's going to be that simple. Um, you know, it it will also depend on where guys are playing. If the Coyotes decide Barrett Hayton's going to play with Matthias Michelli and Kraus or Gunther and Logan Cooley's going to be the guy playing between Schmaltz and Keller, man, his numbers could be insane. Um, you know, if if Connor Bedard goes somewhere like Chicago, he might not have the talent around him to match the numbers that Cooley's going to put up. Um, the same could be said about Fantilli, you know, depending on where he goes. Matty Nyes could put up some unbelievable numbers in Toronto. Um, Toronto's got no depth at left wing. Michael Bunting may not be back because he's going to be looking for a big contract. They don't have a top left winger. That might be Matty Nyes. Nyes could be playing with Austin Matthews and William Nylander next year. So I, I think this is going to be the best race in hockey as far as trophies go next year. Probably going to be the Calder. But moving on to other first year with the team, but maybe not rookies. Um, Valamaki, boy, has he been good. Um, he was, he was, uh, obviously a waiver claim. He didn't work out with Calgary. Uh, we talked about this with Mike a little bit, a couple episodes ago. He had the falling out with, uh, Daryl Sutter, um, and just never was a fit. His production lately as well, he's kind of gotten that top spot now that Jacob Chikrin and Shane Gostas He's had that top spot on that power play, and he's taken it. Um, he signed a one-year extension. He can't sign an extension again until January of next year. Um, what do you guys think of his play, and do you guys think the Coyotes should explore making him a long-term uh, potential top-pairing defenseman for the team? Uh, do you think he's maybe a stopgap that you know, you trade at next year's trade deadline. Uh, if so you go out and I am definitely of very intrigued in the next couple of years. about Val Mackey. I have uh, loved what watching him progress. What would you like to see the uh, team I am do? hesitant to sign him oh, long term uh, because I'm, I'm, I'm still wondering what his ceiling is going to be. I think he can definitely be a top four defenseman. I am not yet convinced he is going to be the Coyotes top pairing defenseman uh on a good coyotes team uh but definitely top four which is great to have um but maybe not sign him to like uh a john chica style like six-year deal i think valamaki is going to settle in real nicely once we have the talent on the team into that uh second pair defenseman those leader the play driver second pair defenseman on that on the team um he won't be top pairing i don't think personally um as good as he's been this year he's just i think you want a little bit better defenseman on your top pairing but he's it it just seems so much of a disservice to say that right now when he's been so good for us this year uh, just long term, I really do think he belongs on that second pair. But I would love to see him stay long term. He's become a 
favorite player. And it feels like I say this with every player we're talking about. It's just how fun and watchable this team is. He's become a favorite player of mine to watch. I love watching him out there. He's so good at what he does, and he controls the play really well. He makes his mistakes, yeah, but what defenseman doesn't, especially defensemen taking risks to create something. So, yeah, I definitely want to see him kept long-term. I don't know what that contract should look like, and I'm glad I'm not the one deciding it because defensemen are so tricky. But I do think he belongs long-term as the linchpin of the second pairing. So both of you guys have mentioned contract, and that's that's a very, very tricky one with him. Um, you know, he's 24 years old right now. He'll be almost 26 when, you know, the, the summer comes that he could hit free agency. Right now in Arizona, he's getting top pair usage. And if he resembles the guy that, you know, is is that 2-3, you know, on the, the fringe of being a top pair guy or a high-end second pair guy, and him or his agent decide that they're worth more than the Coyotes are willing to give him, um, or at least what the Coyotes value him at, what do you do at that point? Do you look for, if you're the Coyotes, maybe a trade partner to send his rights? Or are you looking to maybe overpay him for, you know, a year or two and see if he can continue to be that guy? Or do you... Do you go the smart route I mean, and say, you know what, we see you as a second It all kind of depends on We're who the Coyotes get And would you guys be happy with the Coyotes taking that approach? I, I don't really see any kind oh, of younger player better than him, uh, except for maybe uh, Duda, depending on how that works out. Um, so I could, I could see them like trading him if it seems like he's not going to resign or he wants to do too much. You know, definitely get something out of it for that. Um, but I could also see, you know, maybe do a bit of an overpayment or do like a long-term deal for no money uh, or for less money, and and hope that you can get him on a team-friendly deal. Uh, it all kind of depends on what his agent wants at that point. And this is going to sound really strange from coming from me, the guy who's maximized every asset and all of that. But if his agent is pushing for too much money on too much term, you got to cut him loose if that's the case. One of the things that the Hurricanes have done as a masterclass of their team building is set the line. Everybody has gave them grief when they cut that their uh, young goal. Can't even remember his name right now, off the top of my head. But when they traded him to Detroit for a third round pick, everyone gave them grief. And right now, that goalie is back in the AHL. They set a line, they wouldn't cross it, and it worked out for them. Um, if you're building a team and you gotta watch your contracts and you gotta watch the cap, you gotta cut. Yeah, you gotta draw a line somewhere you can't overpay guys too much hopefully we add some more guys to the uh to the system in the next coming drafts but we gotta we need more talent in the decor and that's what this comes down no matter what we're talking about with him here it comes down to we need more talent in that decor 
Yeah, I agree there. Uh, last thought on that, Grandy, great example using Carolina, as long as everybody ignores the cock. Just very cock to Niemi signing uh, at eight year, 4.1. That might have been more of a revenge thing. But um, yeah, Carolina is a great example of, of asset management and contract management, making sure you can field a full team, four lines, three defensive pairings, good goaltending, um, and fit everything under the cap. I mean, um, and with that, with the cock and yemi thing, 4.1 is right in line with what most third-line centers make. So if he steps into that role, which he's been their third-line winger, and the only reason he's not their center is because they still have Jordan Stahl, who's a phenomenal third-line center for them. But if he can step into that role, Stahl is losing his step, I, I don't even think that was much of an overpay. It just yeah, we'll gets branded as... Contract it, goes. Yeah. All right, so we did have a listener question this week from uh, Mr. Big Tortilla, and we'll we'll group these two together uh, as we get closer to the lottery. The lottery is announced for May eighth. Um, he wanted to here. know. Okay, he wanted to know, um, you know, where the Coyotes sit now. Do you are you happy picking at seven? Um, you know, is who do you like at number seven? Uh, do you look to trade up? What do you do with the pick you have with I mean, the Coyotes continuing honestly, to win the way they're winning? Like the um, the times where you can trade up what do you, and not what would you guys have do to give if up a lot Bill are Armstrong's so rare. I, I don't even uh, Carl, anticipate that being a possibility. Um, I think that if you end up with a seventh, you you find a defenseman and you draft a defenseman. Uh, because that is an area that you desperately need to fill. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's pretty much all you can do. So I'm of a very similar mindset. I looked this up for the last draft because I had a lot of people saying that we should trade for the first overall pick in our comments. So I looked this up last draft and there's only been three draft day trades into the top five over the last 12 years that involved picks on draft day. Most trades into the top five involved players, and usually they were traded out years in advance. It just doesn't happen. Trades into the top five don't happen, so I don't see that happening at all. If, if Mishkov falls, though, I think you really have to look at taking him. To get a talent like that that late in the draft is would be such a boon to this organization. And I know there's questions about the rush, the Russian factor and there's questions about his contract, but I think if you build a good team and he sees what we're building here, I don't think you'd have an issue getting him to come to Arizona with the weather they have, with all of that going on. I really don't think you'd have an issue bringing him over. But let's say he's not there, and I agree 100% with Carl. I looked up over the last couple of days, um, defensemen, there's really only two in this draft I'd want to draft with either our top two pick in Pelica or Reinbacher. And I don't think either of them are going to be available with that center's pick. If you look throughout the draft history, 
you have to go all the way back to 2006 before you hit a draft where uh, one defenseman was taken in the top 11. It's been two to eight in the top 11 every year since then. So I just don't see one of those top two defensemen being there with the Sens pick. So I think if you're picking seven or eight, you've got to take Reinbacker or Pelica, whichever the two you like more if you have a choice, or whichever of the two fall if you don't, and draft a forward, which I think there will be much better forwards and defensemen available with that Sens pick at that point. So I'm I'm kind of in agreement with you guys. I I don't think you can move up. Um, the assets that you'd have to give up to move into the top four, let's say, uh, you know, if that's where uh, Connor Bedard, Adam Fantilli, Leo Carlson, and Matt Vimichkov are all expected to go, you'd have to give up the seventh pick, the what's looking like the eleventh pick probably have to throw in Clayton Keller. You'd probably have to throw in next year's first round pick if you're looking at getting into the top two. It's not going to happen in this draft. Um, I I don't think there's a difference. Uh, there's a small difference, but I don't think it's big enough between, say, five and seven or five and eight that you give up the assets to move up. Uh, because I, I, again, think the ask to move up those three spots to get a guy like Will Smith or, you know, that somebody really values is going to take an additional first round pick or a couple of second round picks and maybe a a prospect. Um, I I don't see the value there. I think you take who you have at the top of your board at seven or eight or even potentially nine, um, depending on where the Coyotes end up. Uh, They have five of their final 14 games against non-playoff teams, but they do have a a relatively tough schedule um, down the stretch. So if you you can limit to maybe nine points down the stretch, maybe Montreal, Philly, you know, they they pass you back up, you jump up a spot or two. Um, As far as players, though, I... I do agree. I think the two best defensemen there are Reinbacher and Sandin Pelika, but um, Mikhail Goliev has has definitely risen as of late up my board. He's a left shot defenseman. Uh, he is playing in Russia, so there there is that. Will they? Won't they come over? However, he doesn't have the contract that Mitchkov does, where you worry about you know. Three years have gone by. He's one year away from being a free agent. Um, you know, does he sign one year in Russia so that he can pick the team that he's playing for? Um, his downside, he's he's 5'10", he's 170 pounds. He might be a little small for the Armstrong mold. I'm not sure he'd be on the board. However, I, I am with you guys. I think at unless he... And Sandine Pelica and Reinbecker are all on the Coyotes' radar. I think you've got to take a defenseman at eight if that's the position you're targeting, because I don't think Sandine Pelica and Reinbecker are there at twelve. Um, which realistically, at, at this point, I kind of think is where Ottawa is going to end up picking, uh, or that pick is going to fall. So that's why I had the cutoff at eleven for my research. I did. Yeah, I, I do think at 12 is, is where they're going to be. Um, 
there are a couple of players that I, I really do like personally. I like Oliver Moore a lot. Um, I don't think he's going to be there beyond the top 10. Uh, so I, I wouldn't necessarily be upset if they took him. Um, anybody that knows uh, what I like in a prospect is is skating. Uh, Dylan Strom soured me on guys that can't skate. So I wouldn't be upset if they went with a guy like Oliver Moore, um, even Andrew Cristal, even though I, I don't think he fits what they're trying to build here. Um or Cody Barlow, um, you know, he's risen up the boards. Right now, a lot of people have him in that, you know, 10 to 14 spot. He could be a great pick with the Sens pick. But, you know, I've started seeing him as high as 7 and 8. So I'm not going to be upset. Um, I've mentioned multiple times this draft feels like 2015 all over again. Out of that 2015 draft, I think three players picked in the top 10 aren't at a minimum, uh, you know, a, a top six or top pair defender. Um, there, You really are going to have to screw up this draft to not walk away with some good pieces. Um, odds are, whoever the Coyotes take at seven, uh, it's going to be a great player. Um, the same at 12. Even if they're not a great player, they're probably going to be a solid NHLer. As scary as the Bruins are now, what, how, where are they at if they had nailed the 2015 draft? Oh, you mean if they took Matt Barzell? Man. Matt, uh, <laughs> Matt Barzell. Uh, like every a dangerous team that picks, I would not want to There see. was the next three picks. Thomas Shabbat, Matt Barzell, and uh, who is the winger? Kyle Connor. The next three picks after their picks was Matt Barzell, Thomas Shabak, Kyle Connor. Just flip that onto the Bruins, and what do you have? Well, I mean, <laughs> I uh, it it makes you wonder if if that team would all be together, considering what they'd have to pay those guys right now. Um, but yeah, I mean that's. That's a scary thought, but then you can't really fault the Bruins in their bad drafting, considering they they landed Pasternak at twenty five. So you know they're, they're a little bit of a pass there. Bergeron in the second round took a rask for nothing for a backup goalie. Yeah, no, they 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 did well. And it, as bad as it was for them for a while, looking at that twenty fifteen draft, going, how did you screw it up that badly? Jake DeBrusque has really come into his own over the last year and a half. And, and I actually don't mind where he was taken. Um, I, I think he was their, what, 13th pick or 14th pick. Um, yeah. It, it might still be a little high considering the talent behind him. But that said, uh, you can't argue with what he's, he's done over the last year and a half. I really do think that at least one of those three picks are going to work out for them. Yeah. Anyway, sorry about the interruption. I just was thinking about that as we were talking about the 2015 draft. That just hit me like, oh, man, good as they are now. Um, but, yeah, before we move on, lottery is making. We will probably be doing a show immediately afterwards to try to get something out that night. 
So keep your eyes tuned for that. Don't know if we're going to have bigger plans for the lottery itself. But yeah, right now we'll definitely be doing a show that night. So you'll be you'll be able to do it the next day. So Additionally, yeah. additionally we do have, and I, I won't ruin the surprise for anybody, but we do have plans for a rather large guest that will be joining the show um, a couple of days after the lottery to talk about the upcoming draft. Um, it, we're going to do an entire draft special uh, built around that show. We should have multiple guests that will be joining us that day. Everybody look forward to that. Um, before we wrap this show up, uh, Carl, we have a question that we ask to every guest we have on the show. Um, who, who would be in your Arizona Coyotes Mount Rushmore? Uh, it's not limited to players. It can be anyone in the league that has affected the team. It can be coaching staff, ownership, um, anybody that's All had right. anything to do with so it. I think we have my, we've had uh, um, people mention Lindsey Fry in the past. Knowledge, so anybody associated like with the team, me watching. Uh, We've had a guy writing all that really starts around the 2011-2012 game, so so it does hold a special spot in my heart. Uh, I am going to go with Shane Doan, of course. Uh, Redeem Verbata, who I do believe should get his number retired by the Coyotes. Uh, Potentially an unpopular opinion. Uh, I I think Redeem Verbata's number should be retired. Um... Just because I don't want to go all forwards, I'm going to go include a defenseman. Uh, I really love, I think Derek Morris had the center ice goal on Jonathan Quick in the playoffs. Um, but I'm going to go with Zabinek McCulloch, just because I think he was a phenomenal Coyotes player. Uh, and I'm going to go with equipment manager Stan Wilson. Just because he is a name who, like, continues to come up with the Coyotes. And one of the things I really value about the Coyotes um, is, like, longevity. The the people in the organization like were Wilson able to kind of can, can you elaborate stick a little it out long-term. Because Wilson. it is a very tumultuous franchise. All right. Well, I like it. Um, I think it's a great top four. I... I like how you you centered it around kind of when you came into watching and covering the team. Um, You know, a lot of people are all over the place, but everybody has, uh, you know, special memories of the team that really stand out. Thank you. I I have Um, brought that up. After Doan's number Um, was retired, I like kind of would casually drop it in conversation. So what? You think Redeem Robotis should be next? No, I think it's good. I like great Mount Rushmore. Nah, I I don't think you should have a next one for a while. Redeem Robotis number should be retired. Redeem Robotis, you can just keep retiring numbers. It's fine. No one's going to stop you. So I would argue that I don't want to be the Nashville Predators and just retire and hang banners just to hang banners. <laughs> However, I would like to see Redeem Verbata in the Coyotes' ring of honor, but I don't necessarily think that the number should be retired. If somebody wants to wear, you know, Verbata's number, more power to him, but his name should definitely be up there. And, and I know the Coyotes have Bobby Hole uh, in their ring of honor. Uh, you know, he wore number nine, so. Clayton Keller wears number nine. That type of scenario, that's fine for me. I'm good with all of that. Put Verbata's name up there. I think keep the jersey open, though. 
I could I could live with that. Who was it that the Ottawa Senators just retired the number of recently? Was that Chris Neal? Yeah. And, and he's not one that you go, <laughs> wow, Chris Neal, what a great career he had. You know, he I, I get his importance to the team, but uh, yeah, it's the, the, it's it's kind of like giving Dustin Brown a statue. You understand why it works for the fan base, but you don't care for it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, uh. All right. Well, Carl, yeah, uh, it's been a pleasure. Oh um, yeah, it, it was a lot uh, of fun. Uh, I'm glad I finally got a chance again. to come on. Uh, um, I'm definitely. Anything... Down to be back like to whenever you have me. Uh, um, and uh, you know, yeah, if, if you have a link uh, easiest way that you'd like to, to, to find everything to add, for Five for Howling is on Twitter right now. Word five, um, number four. But just a genuine word pleasure having you on the show tonight. Uh, pinned comment is the link to the GoFundMe. Uh, again, just any help you can give to to make us independent is is much appreciated. Um, we are going to be launching the new site. Uh, Currently plan to go through Ghost um, on April 1st because that's when uh, Vox is no longer going to be supporting us. And I will have that tweet attached in a thread to the tweet we send out that has our podcast links. So just easy access for anybody listening to this that wants to help support. Just click on that tweet, go to the thread, be right there. All right. Well. We appreciate everybody for listening. This has been another episode of the Chirpin' Yotes podcast. Uh, wherever you get your podcasts, please like and review us. Uh, feel free to send us questions on Twitter for our next show. Um, anything else, Grandy? No, I think that's just about it. Just remember to May 16th, big vote coming up. If you are a Tempe resident, register to vote. Do your due diligence. And get out and vote on the Prop 301, 302, and 303. All right, guys. That's it for tonight's show. Uh, on behalf of Tyler, Grandy, Carl, and everybody else at Chirpin' Yotes Podcast, thank you for listening and have a great night. <laughs>